Before we get started with the latest and greatest edition of the Big Red Bus, I wanted to highlight an article I'm working on that will see the light of day sometime in late September, maybe early October. I'm putting together the final comprehensive definitive list of the top 20 players in the NBA as we head into the season. As a part of this exercise, I put together an elite group of basketball scouts, executives, and players. After today's bus ride with Doug and I, you'll hear from two coaches and a player from the D-Up AAU basketball team. My son played on that team this past summer, and Coach Cook and Coach Bobich are two of the best coaches I've ever come across. So you'll hear from them on their top five and... My son learned a lot from these guys, uh, so we're going to also hear from Joey Zwick, who is a fantastic young player on that team. I'm going to continue this endeavor, asking for everyone uh, that I interview, their top five players going into this season, and it will be a factor in my final rankings. So again, listen for that segment after the Podfather Doug Tonus and I talk about the latest in the world of the beloved Bull. Godspeed, my friends, and enjoy the show. everybody welcome to another exciting edition of the big red bus as we take the glorious monstrosity out onto the streets of chicago i look to my right and lo and behold it's the podfather himself uh, my partner doug tonis how you doing brother <laughs> doing great i was chuckling to myself because you it's made a, a big deal about saying one two three and then go and then you went one two go for the record like 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 i don't even think it needed I don't think if it needed like any explanation as to what we were going to do, but you provided the explanation and then you went out, you went and you ad-libbed anyway. You know, you went and you created, you created on your own with your own vision. You know, you, you said, nah, the play doesn't feel right. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to call an audible. So I started recording before I, I got to figure out how to get the time even up. I always screw this up. Regardless, if uh, there's a slight delay, you know the reason we'll get it, why, we'll get it going. Friends, it's fine. as we take this, the metaphysical bus out onto the street. Hey, man, we haven't talked in forever, and there's so much to bring up uh, since our last discussion. Yeah. I don't even um, remember when our last discussion Most importantly. Was, but, yeah, it's been a while. Uh, let's first start out with the latest news, which I, I'm sure was music to your ears. The Bulls are talking extension with Nikola Vucevic. What say you, Oh, uh, I mean, it's fine to talk about extending him. Um, yeah, just like. Are you kidding? Yeah, no, no, I think it's fine. Like, <laughs> I, I said, like, if you can get him for, like, the like $10 million a year, like, okay. I, I don't think they're going to come to terms on an extension, but I think it's fine to talk. Like, like there's some value I would say yes to, uh, but I mean, I'm not excited oh, about it. What is that? About value? 10 million a year. You know what? They've, they've stepped into this mistake and they're going to follow through with it. It's pretty clear to me, right? They're not even going to admit it. You know, they're just going to say he's, he's added all these, uh, you know, these, these things that you can't measure and all this nonsense. They're, they're going to, they're going to go down. With, with the Vucevic experiment. I mean, I guess they don't really have a choice. Yeah, sure you do. You always have uh, a choice, you see right? It. Like, I mean, it's some cost thinking to say, I made a mistake. I'm going to just keep doubling down on it. Like, it's a, like, you don't do that. That's a bad idea. But uh, in here, to me, it just depends on the cost. And I think if you were to get something done, that the cost is probably higher than I would pay. And it's going to be a bad decision. But 
We'll see. You know, if it's one year and you're just aligning his timeline with DeRozan and whatever, I think that's maybe a little bit more tenable than if it's longer than that. But I, I, I probably wouldn't do it. You know, I, I think halfway through the season, and it will depend what happens with Vooch. Like there's, you know, some school of thought that says he's just going to maybe shoot better this year. You know, he shot very poorly last year. And if he shoots better this year, he's going to be a lot more valuable, right? So that's a possibility. But if he doesn't shoot better this year, then I think you're going to find that Andre Drummond is better than Nikola Vucevic. And if, if that happens, you're going to feel really bad having Vucevic on an extension at any cost, right? So you, you are banking a lot on him shooting well from three if you extend him and that this last season was an anomaly and that the season before that was, was the real deal. What are the odds? Yeah, he might shoot better this year, and that's going to be very important. It's going to be hard to shoot worse. I mean, anybody shooting worse than thirty-one percent, you got a question on whether or not they should be shooting three pointers at the at the rate and the volume that he was in this past season, right? At that point, you're you're really doing a disservice to the team. Where at some point, somebody's got a coach has got to step in and say, "Stop yeah, it." Yeah, thirty-one percent is a disservice uh, to the team. Thirty-five percent is is livable, and you know, like thirty-eight, thirty-nine percent is good. Yeah, you're helping. You're pulling out bigs. You're forcing the defense to respond to you. And, you know, last year was just not good. These other areas of his game, what are the odds they're going to improve? I'd say slim to none. He's suddenly going to get better defensively at, at his advanced age. Like, when when does that happen for the slow-plotting centers in their, in, uh, in their 30s? You know, it's not something that's going to get significantly better. And I just don't see what other aspects of his game are going to improve and he's going to really help the team get well none you know we've kind of right i mean if he if he he might shoot better and that would be a huge thing right it would not be a small thing if he shot 40 percent from three that would be really it would be really helpful so that that's the that's really all you're banking on i I think you know the defense is, is not going to get better he is a good defensive rebounder and he is a good passer um, I do think he has high basketball IQ. I, I think there is pieces of using him as a hub in the offense that are valuable for the team and can continue to contribute. So it's not like he can't contribute in any way other than shooting. I mean, like he can do other things that are helpful, but yeah, the defense is, is going to be a problem no matter what. And, you know, like overall his efficiency, if it's low is, is not helping you that much. So he has to be efficient on offense. And, you know, the other thing is maybe you just play him more in the low post. You get him more shots close to the basket and, you know, fewer shots of these these like long distance shots and you use them differently and he he could still be valuable. I mean, if if Vooch shot 12 times a game instead of 17 times a game and he shot like, say, two or three threes a game at like 36 percent because, you know, whatever he's taking ones he's more comfortable with or whatever, less rushed, who knows. And you get him in the low post more, and, and he gets you know efficient offense there, and all of a sudden his, his offensive efficiency, true shooting percentage is up to fifty eight, fifty nine percent. You know now he's a guy who can help you, you know, and he he can still move the ball a lot, facilitate the offense, defensively rebound. Now he's a guy who can help you. Um, you know, I, I don't I don't want him at a really high contract right either way. I mean, it's hard to imagine him being thirty three, thirty four, and being really great, right? I mean, those would be the years in the extension. Let's say he does shoot thirty eight percent this year. He'll get a pretty significant extension if that happens. You know, probably, as some would argue, it's deserved. Uh, and my counter would be a player at his age is not going to look good at $24 or $25 million for the next three years after that. And the Bulls will be just, I think, further, you know, keeping us away from where we need to go. I would prefer that he just admit the mistake and just go in a different direction and trade him for whatever he can get. But that's clearly not what's going to happen. 
what would you put the odds at the Bulls signing him to an extension, you know, before training camp, training camp is over? Um, I feel like it's probably around 50-50. I think they're going to have different views of his financial value. I think Vooch would like to stay with the Bulls. I think the Bulls would like to keep Vooch, but I think they may be far enough apart uh, financially for, for it to happen. But we'll see. You know, one, one thing that I think is really kind of ironic, and I don't know that we've ever touched on it, is... And I, and I hate to go back to comparing Garpax to Acme. Uh, but one of the things you heard a lot about Garpax was, you know, they would build treadmill teams. They didn't care about winning the title. They just wanted to get, like, into the first round of the playoffs or whatever. And, you know, if you look at their tenure, up until they traded Butler, I think it was like they were at least 500 in, it's like 11 of 13 seasons. Um, you know, so they did, they, you know, they accomplished that, but they didn't win a lot of those first round playoff matches, right? They, they got past the first round, I think only, was it like twice or three times, maybe three times. So it was at least, three. yeah, I mean, it was once with no four times. I, I could think of four times in 2015 with Gasol, they got to the second round. They got there in the miracle when they beat the, the nets in round one in the, uh, the year where Dang was in the hospital, they uh, obviously got there in 2010, and they got there uh, when they won 49 games and lost in the second round to the Pistons. Just those immediately yeah. come so, to mind. So I think there were. I think that's probably four. right. So either way, but like you know, they weren't. People criticize them like they're not winning, trying to win the title, whatever. And uh, they look at like Acme, and they're like, "Wow, these guys, these guys are really look how creative and smart they are, and they're going to do this, that, and whatever." And it's like. And and I said when they made all these moves, like they boxed you into a first round ceiling team, and and you look at a move like trying to extend Vucevic, and like what do you think you're going to do with this core with Demar being older, Vuc being older, like, <laughs> and you're refusing to pay the luxury tax? You're like where do you think the upside is? Like you're gonna you're gonna lock yourselves into like maybe a play in team, like I mean you've you've used a lot of your high risk. Assets, you know, first round picks are high risk, high reward assets, right? There's a low chance that they're going to pan out into someone great, but you can pick 15th and still get like a superstar player. Like you get the next Giannis, your next Kawhi, whatever. Like, so sometimes the next Jimmy Butler, sometimes that happens. You know, there's a reason why you have those, those assets. Like they are, they're, they're high risk of being valuable is a really good chance. They're lousy, but if they are valuable, like the reward is extraordinarily high too. And when you're a bad team and you're trying to become a great team, you know, you need really high reward type assets, even if there's a low chance that they, they go. And so we traded off all of those things to get things that are much more certain. You know, like like Vucevic is a is a more certain asset. You know he's going to do certain things. And DeMar DeRozan is certainly a more uh, you know certain asset. And, and DeRozan was better, much better than we expected, even though I think you and I both loved the signing. He was still much better than even we expected. And Vucevic was much worse than expected. You know, like I was not high in Vuce, but I thought he would have been better. And most people thought he would be much, much better. So, you know, those things can, even those like more certain assets still have variability to them. You can hit or miss on them. But you knew like these weren't going to be guys who were going to lead you to a title. And so when you trade off all the things, even if it's a low chance of happening to get these things that are more certain, but have lower ceilings, like it's really hard to then make the next leap anywhere. And and you look at the Bulls' future, and it's and it looks like they are planning and building and playing towards trying to sustain a first round type team with very little flexibility to ever do more than that. Like it's hard for me to see how you extend Vucevic and think that's not true. 
you know, locking in all that money for a guy who's, you know, in, in that situation. So I think it's one of those things like there should be a mindset shift where people were excited. They, they approached the approach to jamming differently by making trades and doing some other things to get players in. But when you look at like an asset allocation thing, like Garpacks always kept the really high risk, high reward assets and tried to use them, you know, to make big leaps forward in the draft. And these guys have, have not done that. And, and so it, it's going to be really hard for them to ever, you know, get this, this different level of achievement unless they can make such a trade for someone like Kevin Durant or whoever, you know, but the criticism that like the old regime only got second tier stars, but then were you know, like Gasol or Carlos Boozer or Ben Wallace or whoever, but we're excited about DeMar and, and Vucevic. Like, so really kind of the same things you just got here in different ways. Meet the new boss, same as the old boss. I would counter in defense of Acme. Everything is dependent on the success of this group really now with their own picks. Like if Patrick Williams ends up being a very good all-star type player, this could, Why would you think that? If Io, why would you think there's any chance of that? Though? I, I'm not high on that. I'm not but, high on that, but I'm willing to say, like, I, I, Doug, I agree. Like, I, I don't think it's going to happen, but I saw a significant improvement from him last year, which is what you should expect for a number four overall pick in year two. Let's see where he where he is that this yeah. year, you know, and and let's see where Io is too. I mean, that was another excellent pick on their on their part. I'm not a big fan of their pick this year, but. Um, that's cause I had my eyes on someone else, but big picture, I'll, I'll be open to it. You know, like they've done pretty good in the draft so far in terms of getting Iowa in the second round. I mean, it was just an absolute home run and Patrick Williams, I think does have sign has shown enough signs that I'm, I'm, I'm still curious. Like I agree with you. I'm not, I'm nowhere near like where the Kool-Aid. Well, he was a number four pick, him, right? But, like it's <laughs> like, I mean, like, yeah. is he, is he like Russell Westbrook was a number four pick? Is Patrick Williams doing that? Like, I, no. I mean, and that's and not entirely not fair because it's like a lot of times number four picks. Yeah, there was no one that we thought was you know in the draft. We looked at number four and we said, man, this is a crapshoot based on this draft year. Sometimes there's just no one really great sitting there that you even had the choice to pick. And I think that's probably true with this draft. Like, like Patrick Williams still might be the best option at number four on the board or one of them, right? Maybe we'd have gone Tyrese Halliburton or something, but I don't know. I Well, Halliburton was absolutely in this discussion. And I don't think anybody with a, you know, who's somewhat sane now could say they would prefer Patrick Williams. To I think there's probably some He's people clearly a better I think player. Some people who probably would at this point, like still say well, they want the, uh, the right upside. now based on what we've the, seen. Yeah. But they'd say they're based on the upside. You can, you can argue upside based on what we've seen. That's like, a, yeah. A yeah. But you, you got it. You argument. would have to, if you did it, it would be because you think there's more upside, you know, and sometimes, you know, like after one year in the league, Giannis probably wasn't the best pick, you know, but <laughs> certainly was later. So you yeah, know, you got to wait to see what happens. And, and someone I could see would, would want to wait, but yeah. But big picture, also to follow up on your previous point, though, I, I w- did have a conversation this this morning with a, a good friend who's a huge Bulls fan who was just pr- proclaiming his love for Acme. And, and, and again, I think they've done a, made some really nice decisions so far, and, and I'm hoping they're going to do great. But I would also counter that they had this offseason. If, if Garpax had this same offseason, if it was just a different two guys running the organization, can you imagine the level of outrage that we would have about what they did this past off season, like I can't even comprehend where it would be, right? Like, I do you do you disagree with no, that? No, I mean, I, I've I've said before, you know, they've been really quiet in two of three off seasons now, and it, it, it's not accident for any of those three seasons, right? Like, you 
had a lot of assets one off season and then you used them. And so a lot of things happened and people were excited. And then in two off seasons, you know, I said before any of this started, they weren't going to do anything this off season. And they told everyone they weren't going to do anything this off season. And yet people said like, ah, trust in Acme, they're going to do some crazy stuff. They said, you know, continuity is what we're going to bring back to the table. And everyone just ignored it and said like, no, no, they're going to, they're going to, they got something up their sleeve. They're going to, you know, and it, it just totally made sense to me. There's like, there's not a lot of things you can do and stay underneath the luxury tax. And there wasn't any reason to think they were going to pay the luxury tax this year. And our buddy Mark K was like really upset about that. And I was just like, why did, why would you think anything else is going to happen? Like, have you not followed the team for the last 20 years? Like, all right, you want to rant about it, but like, like, you know, this is like how many teams pay the luxury tax when they're like staring at a first round exit where they're going to get destroyed, you know, to bring in a guy like Isaiah Hartenstein, like, you know, it's not a, you're not a guy who's going to get you out of the, the first round. Like, so people don't pay the luxury tax for that, right? Teams that pay the tax are teams that think they're going to go to the second round, at least, or the conference finals or the finals, you know, or feel like they have some chance to yeah. win. So, you know, I, I, I wish the bulls would spend more, but like they weren't spending in some like crazy way where you're like, Oh, this is, this is like so nuts that they wouldn't, man, they clearly don't care. Like, yeah, most teams in this boat aren't spending and, and you, bought enough guys that were like, you're putting all your money into the way you have where it's like, yeah, there's not a lot of room to get improvement when you have like a bunch of very good players, but you don't have any super elite players. It's really hard to improve that roster, right? Because it's, it's hard to another very good player doesn't move the needle that much. Cause there's not more minutes for very good players. Like you need elite players. And it's not like that was a choice. Like, I don't think the bulls had a choice to go get elite players and they chose this model instead or anything like that. They really didn't. They're just, you know, going back to, what I said a long, long time ago, in the end, they're really just in a tough boat. And you know what they, their approach towards this boat was to, to build a team that'll get to the first round and, and have very little headroom, except hoping for miracles going forward and abandon the plan of like, well, we might be really bad for a while, but we're going to hope to, to get like true star building blocks you know, you, you moved away from that plan and, you know, that's certainly more exciting. We had a great time watching last year up until uh, Lonzo got hurt at least. Uh, and after the, the all-star break, we had a great time watching last year and it was exciting and fun and whatever. And, you know, hopefully we get that this year, even if the end is a first round exit, you know, I get that this might be more fun than watching the team, you know, try to accumulate draft assets, you know, it certainly is more fun. So, uh, but, but lower chance of actually winning you know, the, the whole thing. I, I really enjoyed your back and forth with Mark on Twitter. Uh, I thought, you know, I, I do agree with some of Mark's points. Like, just let's start out with, you know, in the limited space they had and the limited assets, I did feel like they could have made a move in getting Hartenstein, who I think is better already than Vucevic. Uh, yeah, same. You know, the rest of the league ha- hasn't caught on to it, but he's, he's yeah, similar players, except he's younger and better and cheaper and, and will continue to be so for the next few years. Uh so, you know, like that was a move I thought was within the, their realm of what they had and assets to make. They chose another direction. Uh, and, you know, he was furious that they didn't pay the tax. But along these same lines, it does. Want, I did want to bring up this topic and, and have this discussion with you because I think it kind of leads into what you guys were arguing about. Doug, over the last 20 years, let's say since 2002, can you tell me what, what comes to mind if I ask you this question? Who are the two organizations in the NBA, the two teams in the NBA that are most synonymous with losing. The biggest losers. One's in a non-major market and the other one's in a major market. What comes in the last 20 years? Last 20 Um, years, since 2002. Since 2002. (laughs) It feels like it's got some like weird, weird years. Who's the biggest? Um, 
Well, I yeah, mean, like, well, who's the biggest loser? I, to me, there's one team that's the Yeah, I mean, like, loser. the Sacramento Kings stand out in my head. Bingo. Um, number one. Number one. Number two, though, is a major market team that has had very little success in the last two decades. Probably, what, the, the outside of New York few. Knicks? That's correct. The New York Knicks. And what do you think the vast majority of people who said, who would go to you and say, the Knicks have sucked so bad, what is the number one reason why? Uh, probably... I mean, I guess management, maybe ownership. They complain about ownership all the time, which I always thought was ridiculous. Dolan, Dolan, which is always exactly. funny. Like Dolan, Dolan was willing Dolan to pay a hundred million dollars a year in luxury tax for a team that was losing <laughs> in the lottery, and we're going to complain. Like that's all you want, right? Is your owner to spend? Like Dolan's like, hey, blank checks, whatever you want to do, blank checks. You know, if you want to complain about a- Dolan, it was just he didn't hire, you know, people who are great at spending his money. Uh, was his his maybe big challenge and and he tried I mean Phil he brought in big names like Phil Jackson, uh, Larry Brown, like you know it's not like he brought in a bunch of losers who don't know what they're doing, uh, or you would you would think wouldn't know what they're doing. He brought in guys that seem like they would be pretty pretty capable. Dolan, exactly. And if you go to the church of Marquet Hoops, you would probably say it was Dolan too, right? I would agree. I would concur. So interestingly enough, when I was on vacation, I read uh, my good friend uh, Chris Herring's book, uh, you know, Blood in the Garden, uh, which I thoroughly enjoyed. Would you know, did you know, Doug, that in the 1990s, the New York Knicks made it to 10 playoffs in the 90s, three Eastern Conference finals, and two finals from 1991 to 2000? Okay. Was, was Dolan the owner of that team? I have no, Same owner, right? I have no idea, but probably. I don't remember the Knicks being yes. sold, so I'll say yes. He he is exactly so. Dolan is has been the owner through all that period of time, but yet somehow they went from ten years in a row to absolute garbage. Why was that? What was the primary reason for that? It's not the owner, same owner. What? Why? It's because of the players that were on that team and Patrick Riley walking out the door, right? Is it is it me? It's the players and the management, direct management. So, like, my bigger point is, are you there? I, I'm there. No, I'm I'm waiting for your big. Yeah, point. My bigger point is, my bigger point is, the Bulls have the same owner that was you know presiding over the team when we won six championships. Now, of course, yes, I agree. He hasn't exactly helped us win those titles. He hasn't been. Uh, but I wouldn't say that he's been an impediment to winning. And I don't think that's true of any ownership group. So to like put the primary blame on Ryan's, as he calls them, the dwarfs, isn't true. Like We're going to be good or bad based on the decisions of Acme and the players, how they perform as a team. It's not the owner. What say you? I don't think the owner is a huge difference maker, but it's hard to say because you don't see similar circumstances. So if Reinsdorf owned the Warriors, would he have been willing to spend as much money as they spent? Like, we don't, we just don't know the answer to that. Like, people are complaining we don't pay the tax, and I agree, but he's, like, frugal. But he's frugal when it makes sense to be frugal so far because we have not provided a lot of reason to pay the tax. Like, when was the last time you thought this team is, like, a piece away from doing something, and then we refuse to spend money? You know, like, when you, when you look at each individual situation, you know, it's hard to make that case. Now, granted, over enough time, you would have thought we would have just paid more tax by happenstance than we have. You know, so he definitely seems on the cheaper end. But, you know, I don't know. I don't think he's the primary reason. The primary reason is to win in the NBA takes a lot of luck. 
you got to get a superstar player. You typically get them through the draft. And then you got to luck into getting like another one somehow. Maybe that guy also comes through the draft or they come through free agency or a trade or whatever. Uh, but you need like two or three guys who are in the, you know, two guys in the top 10 or who have seasons in the top 10. And then, you know, a decent cast around those guys. And so what management can typically do is they can control whether they can bring in good guys at the margins who are the cast around those guys. But typically it takes some really lucky swings to get those those big name star players. You know, it's not something you can ever replicate. And so in that sense, I think really the defining difference between the good and bad teams in the NBA is luck. Like that is the biggest difference. Yeah, interesting. Like I definitely like Dolan, you know, he he came, I think the Cablevision acquired ownership in the Knicks in the mid-90s. I know he was there when they were in the finals in 99. Um, but, and again, he his decisions to put Thomas in place were absolute, you know, moronic. Yeah, you got to pick. His decision to put Phil Jackson. You got you to gotta make the right choices. But, again, it's those guys that are making the decisions that has far more, as you put it, it's kind of lucky. Right, like I didn't think Phil Jackson hiring Phil Jackson, you're automatically going to say, "Oh, that's a terrible decision." I didn't think it was a great one, but I didn't think it was ter- would turn out as bad as it did. Did you? No, and I'm, I mean, like I said, you had Larry Brown there, you had Isaiah Thomas, like, and, and fine, you can say whatever you want about those guys in retrospect now, but like at the time, like maybe Isaiah Thomas was was a stretch. <laughs> um, you know, he had he had, had like a lot of bad bad things following him around beforehand, but. Like, whatever, like, you had, like, very accomplished basketball people with a lot of experience in the league. It's not like you just went and just picked some random dude. So, yeah, I don't, I, they didn't perform, they didn't work out. But even with a lot of those things, it was luck. Like, a lot of, like, those guys, they still can't control whether they get the star players frequently. And what they can control is how well they do around the margins. And so, you know, even even if you have someone great, like, I look at it this way. Like if you brought Popovich in here, whoever you think the best, Pat Riley, you bring Pat Riley into the Bulls right now. Is he the best GM or Jerry West or whoever you want to say you think the best GM in basketball is. If you bring him here, like he's probably in your view the best because he got lucky acquiring a star and then he made good things happen around the margins afterwards. But like if he doesn't acquire a star and he still does all the good things around the margins, your team still sucks. And the getting the star yeah. part is still just super, super lucky. And so, like, it is just, there's just a huge, huge amount of luck, even if you have someone really great. The one thing, that, the one thing that concerns me about Acme is, like, their ability to get things done seems to be predicated by them overpaying. Like, they overpaid to get Vucevic in on trade. And DeMar DeRozan, absolutely worth his contract, right? Like, we're, we're thrilled. We're psyched with DeMar DeRozan's contract. But at the time it was made, it was viewed around the league as a massive overpay. And no one else was going to pay him that much money. We, we like bid against ourselves. Like it came out, like he even said in a recent show uh, interview he did, like no one was like making him offers. People were talking about him at the minimum somewhere, you know? So, so we massively overpaid to bring him in. And so like, if that is their approach, like that's how they, we're going to get our guy and we're going to overpay to do it. For a team that's like very hesitant to pay the luxury tax, that's a dangerous way to run the team, right? Like that's a, that's a, that's a, that's a tough model to use to build a winner. If your, your model is to overpay to make something happen with a team that's not going to back you up by more resources than other teams. One thing that always stuck out in my head is I remember I was in New York for a little bit of time during 
the uh, Linsanity era. And it was in that summer, I think it was like 2012 or 13. I think it was 2012 because the Bulls were, it was, if my memory serves me correctly, it was after Rose had torn his ACL. Jeremy Lin signed a contract with the Houston Rockets for some insane amount of money at that time. And he refused to match it. And the the criticism I remember hearing on the radio that day was arguably the worst I've ever heard for any decision in any any sport. I mean, it was insane what people were saying on the, the fan, I think it was, or whatever it was. It was just people were outraged that they did not match that agreement. And in retrospect, he was right. Nobody ever says, like, hey, great job, Dolan. Great job not to sign Jeremy Lin, you know, and match that 20, 20-some I can't remember, it was over 20-some million dollars a year at the time. And Regardless, you're, I think you're exactly right. I think there's a lot more luck that comes into this that we, we, we want to admit. So let's hope the Bulls get lucky because they surely did not have their share of good luck in the past decade. Yeah, and, you know, you look at, like, uh, when they got Derrick Rose, you know, obviously a huge stroke of luck, right? One, that there was this guy who was really good, um, at the top of the draft and that you got the top pick out of a spot that, you know, traditionally is not likely to get the top pick. So lots of luck involved in that. Right. Yep. But what did they, what did they do after they got that luck? They got like a star player, like three years later, they're you know, in the Eastern conference finals. Yeah. You know, yeah. you know, like you talk about like, you know, whether you can build around the margins once you get lucky, can you make something happen? That's good. Can you do good things? And then they, like, they rotated out almost the entire team, right? Yeah. Like the only guy yeah. I think who was still there was was like Luol Deng, you know, like in, you know, and Noah and then, was already there. J- J- Noah was obviously Noah there. was Noah Noah was there, for, but, but that, like he was. But look how they made. It was like luck. a rookie year. They they got him at number nine, right? Like it's not like because they of got Eddie Noah Curry, because, because of the Eddie Curry yeah. trade. They 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 won forty nine games a year when they before they drafted Noah and, because and no they, one, yeah. And so they position themselves to be lucky and, and whatever. They were able to build a good team around the margins. You know, Ben Gordon ended up leaving. You know, they, they ended up bringing in like Jimmy Butler. You know, in they, 2011. They, they, Doug, after they drafted. They made, they, so they made, they made these things work, right? Like they, yeah. once they got a star player, they were able to do all the margin stuff and they were to be able to build a team that had the best record in the league two years in a row. Uh, and so, like that—that—that that, that is what I mean, though. And like, I'm not saying we should bring them back or anything like that. And Acme might be able to do the same thing, right? Like, if if somehow they land the next Giannis, maybe two, three years later, they're also able to build all the other pieces around him and have a, a great player. But we don't get to see that because they've not landed that player. But they put themselves in position where it's going to be really hard to ever land that player. Like you're. And that 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 is the tricky thing. Like so, even this year, like where you actually had your 2022 pick, because you're probably not going to have your pick next year. You used it on a guy, Dalen Terry, who really doesn't have any upside. And I'm not saying there was a Giannis in this draft to take, you know, at the the position the Bulls picked. But like Dalen Terry clearly wasn't going to like look like such a player, you know. So we'll, we'll we'll see what we'll see what happens. But like like they've not put themselves in position. The way the more I look at their moves the more I look at them as a front office that's playing to just make the playoffs every year. And, you know, just, we just want to make sure we stay above 40 wins. We're going to, we're going to just take singles and we're just going to, we, we, we only care about hitting singles and we want to, we want to make sure we're above 40 wins each year. And you know, that's, that's, that's what we're about. That that's my impression of this front office, which is 
only funny to me because people feel very differently about it. They feel like they're the super aggressive, they're going to do all this stuff. But like when you really peel back, you know, the, how they look at high risk versus conservative assets and other things, they're, they're actually op- acting the opposite way. They are, they are absolutely operating as a front office. Maybe they're aggressive in making moves, but they're aggressive in becoming more conservative and having more certainty and lower, lower ceiling and lower risk. Yeah, that's, I, I think, like I said, my, I think my opinion is very different about that than other people. I don't think other people feel the same way. I did want to also mention, too, like, what, what did they do as you brought it? Uh, I thought you brought up a great point. Like, what did they do after Rose was drafted? The next year they drafted Taj Gibson at 26. Uh, the next year they hired Tom Thibodeau. Uh, the next year after that they, they drafted Jimmy Butler and Nico Miritich at 22. Like, the margin deals they did in the next few years were incredible like people cannot argue about how good that five-year stretch was it was about as good as it can be with the exception of not landing you know the big three which every freaking team in the league outside of Miami was unable to do right so it's it's just like Jerry Krause (laughs) you had this great stretch followed by the worst five years in the league right yeah yeah like after after Miritich and Butler like and not to I don't want to heap so much praise on him too because I can hear Bulls fans like just what about this? And yeah, but then they followed that up by having like maybe five or six of like the worst years of general managing you could go through too, right? Like yeah, every draft they deserved they to go. Was, the Jim Boylan hiring was, whatever. was ended it all. That, it yeah, was, and, it and was the refusal time. to fire him. And, you know, like I think like after that was like Bobby Portis was maybe, you know, Bobby Portis was a solid pick. That was maybe it like after that, you know, like they just, the Doug McDermott trade was one of the worst things, you know, like, just you could imagine, especially, you know, so anyway, like and I'm not saying we want to bring them back or that they're amazing. What I did just want to highlight, though, is it's like, really, you can be good or bad for like a stretch. And, you know, it, and part of it is is really based on a lot of luck. It really is it's just based on a lot of luck. And when you when you got a guy like Derek Rose, everything's a lot easier. Um, and and, you know, we saw that with with the last group and, you know, it's we don't have that guy now. And so in some ways. Like, you know what? They're they're up against it, right? Like I've 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 said, like things that maybe don't sound so nice about them, but they are up against it. It's super hard to do what they're trying to do, and you know, like I said, I think their approach ultimately is like, yeah, let's just make sure we get to the the first round of the playoffs. I think I think that and the Vucevic extension to me cements that if they if they actually do it. Like, there's no upside to that, right? No. Like, you don't think Vuce is going to be better at 33 and 34 than he is now? Uh, so it cements the idea that you care about, you know, like just just trying to, to, to get by. Yep. Hey, final topic for today's show that we had to get into, which, uh, a lot of great, you know, conversation on Bulls Twitter that I'm sure most of the people listening did not see, but it's worth a a conversation here. And I'd like you to elaborate on it further. Um, let me first start out by reading the, just some of the comments I made on Twitter, uh, regarding this. And it's called a thread. You can go and read it if you'd like to and follow up on it. Uh, Jimmy Butler trade. The Butler trade revisionist history has been awe-inspiring. And this, and this, as an aside, this is not what I wrote, but it this follows up, you know, Butler's great performance in the Eastern Conference Finals in Game 6 and 7. He was not good in the previous three games, but he was fantastic in 6 and 7. And, you know, more of the revisionist history of the Butler trade and criticisms of Gar Pax um, for making that trade. And, and, you know, it just went on and on. And then I, I just had enough, and, I, and here's what I said. In the 2020 hindsight of 2022, some have argued the Bulls should have garnered more for a player who, although immensely talented, had significant character flaws and injury mileage concerns in 2017. 
These flaws remain during his Minnesota and Philly stops, which partly explains why both organizations traded him for relative garbage when compared to the Bulls' return. It's also the primary reason why we wouldn't garner anywhere near a Rudy-like return if the Heat put him on the market today. Despite his best efforts, Jimmy has recruited only two past-their-prime stars, and I put stars in quotations, Wade and Lowry, in his career. The reasons why should be obvious. Despite great teammates in Minnesota, Philly, and Miami, Towns, Joel, Bam, he has won zero titles. Jimmy has finally proven with the Heat that he is capable of multiple truly great playoff performances. He has also proven capable of setting the house on fire and less sturdy foundations than Miami would burn down. What say you? I mean, I think that seems fair all around. You know, I mean, the, the, the thought is really, to me, the people who think you could have traded Butler for more, like, it's clear. I don't even know why you would argue that. Like, clearly you couldn't. Clearly you couldn't get more than Butler. He's traded twice more for, like, ridiculously less. So if you weren't going to keep him long-term, trading him when the Bulls traded him was the best thing they could do, right? Hands down. And he left uh, the 76ers to go to the Heat, and he clearly wanted to win now. And maybe he would have stayed with the Bulls on a Supermax because we could have just paid him so much more. But, you know, given the Bulls cap situation, I don't know what you're going to do with Jimmy Butler on a $50 million deal. <laughs> like, I really don't. You know, I just would have been tough. So, um, yeah, maybe the right move was to keep him and try to build around him. But I, you weren't going to get more trading from him. Like, there's no way that was going to happen. And and so you did get a really good deal out of him. You know, we got Zach Levine, who made a couple all-star games for us out of him. You know, Lowry and Dunn didn't turn out into anything. And people say, well, it was lucky that Levine did this and he was whatever. And I'm like, well, yeah, but they, they got three high upside assets that were also very high risk. And this is what I talked about before. They traded a guy with a with a certainty they felt he had, and, and Butler outperformed that and proved that he was better than they thought he was, right? If they knew Butler was going to be this good, they would have kept him. Uh, so Butler proved the Bulls wrong in a, in a, to a, an extent uh, with that. But they, they traded a guy who they thought, like, yeah, he's not really a number one option. He's like a, a number, a, a Robin and not a Batman. And everyone in the Bulls fan base kind of thought that at the time for the most part. And, and they got three high-risk, high-reward assets. And one of those three assets panned out. And yeah, it could have been Lowry that panned out. It could have been Dunn that panned out. It ended up being Zach that panned out. But you, you traded for three things that had a high-reward potential and also a high-failure rate potential. It makes sense that one of those three would pan out and two wouldn't. And maybe none of them would have panned out. Maybe two of them could have panned out. But getting one of three was not like some crazy long odds that one of those three things panned out into something really good. Um, so, you know, that, that is what it is. I don't, I don't really have strong feelings about the Butler trade one way or the other, to be honest with you. Yeah, I'd also counter for those people that say, well, we got lucky that somehow Zach turned into an all-star and a really great player who's now a core part of the foundation of our current team. Oh, well, with bad luck, what happened to Chris Dunn, who was a fantastic defensive player whose career was cut short by severe knee injuries? Are you ever going to factor that in? No, no, it was just stupid that they wanted him included in the trade. It's, you can't have logical, normal discussions on this. I find it irritating. I really do. It, yeah, I don't, that's I don't know that's why don't. I look at everything as a, a, a range of possibilities, right? Like there was a possibility any one of those three assets I got could have been really high value. And there was a possibility that any of them could have been no value, right? And so maybe the possibility of high value of each one is, say, like 15% chance of being a really high value asset in the future. 
an 85% chance of being a low value asset. Well, you know, if you, if you give a 15% chance and you get three shots at it, you know, like you got a pretty good chance of one of them panning out, right? Yeah. Even though individually yeah. all of them are low chances. And that's the kind of trade they made. They, they swung the fence on like high upside, you know, types, types of assets as, as best they could. And people will say, well, they wanted Andrew Wiggins. Well, yeah, Andrew Wiggins was in the same boat. He was a, a high potential, high risk asset. And yeah, Andrew Wiggins ended up being what Andrew Wiggins is, which now actually looks a lot better than it did a couple of years ago. Uh, but there, there was a chance Andrew Wiggins could have been a, a superstar in the league too. You know, like, so with these guys, assets are very, people are really young. You don't know how they're going to develop. So the Bulls, they tried to trade something of certainty, which they thought this guy is like a number two option on a good team. They tried to trade him to get as many things, as many like dice rolls at a guy who could be a number one option as possible. And so they got three dice rolls and probably all were, you know, low-ish probability of working, low to mid probability of working, and one of them panned out. You know, so that's that's just it's okay. Like that's how it's you know it's like looking at that and saying like, well, you knew this was going to happen. Like you didn't know. And, and you I, know, could have been yeah. better. Could have been worse. I'll stop and also just stop for one second. Larry Markin is still in the league. He started for a playoff team last year, and despite what you think of him and you think he sucks, he did. He was traded for assets. Uh, Derek Jones Jr. was re-signed by the team this year, and we still have a number one pick from Portland, uh, not number one overall, a first rounder that still has yet to convey to us. So, like, to act like, well, that was it. You know, and we made the choice to part ways with, with, with Larry. I think that was probably the right decision, but, again, he's still a young player whose career isn't over, and, you know, let's give it a little bit more time before you finally declare it was a loss or a win. Zach Levine's entering his prime. We'll see where we are in three or four years, right? Like it's 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 so stupid to just ah oh, it's over. It just declare well, it's, it's over. It's stupid to worry. It's stupid to worry about it anyway. Like I mean, it it, it who uh, Jimmy Butler if he was on on the Bulls maybe he gets frustrated with two years of losing and goes to the Miami Heat anyway because Dwayne Wade recruits him back there. Oh, and you don't God. even get his good years. Yeah, like you don't like you don't even know like you were gonna you only had Butler for two more years on their contract. You weren't going to be able to rebuild the team in those two years with what you had, so maybe he decides to leave to go somewhere else. Who knows? You know, like you just don't know what would have happened. And if you did keep Butler and, you know, he signed the Supermax and then you still couldn't build anything around him, which would have been even harder with him on a Supermax, maybe he just get you know, like you've seen he can blow up teams. Maybe he blows up the Bulls and demands a trade and you can't get anything for him. Yeah, like it's just you, you don't know the, the outcome of what would have happened the other way. And there's plenty of reasons to think it probably wouldn't have been really good. I mean, it wasn't really good the way it worked out either. So, you know, it's, 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 it, to me, it feels like one of these things where, you know, people will say, well, if we kept Jimmy Butler, we'd have been the team that got to the finals. And I think that's like a real stretch to think that was true. Um, but it could have been like, maybe, you know, who knows? Anyway, I, I don't, like I said, I don't know that energy. One thing before our, our hard cutoff, I want to talk about Lonzo ball. You not brought him up. News kind of came out like he's it seems like he's not progressing as well as you'd like. Like they say it's positive, but they won't you know, say anything. Do you think Lonzo Ball will be ready for the start of the season? No, I don't. I don't see any reason why he would be ready. Just based on the news that we've continually heard over the course of the last few months, there's been no indication that he's healthy. If there was, we absolutely would have heard about it by now. Uh, because believe do you me, think Lonzo Ball's 
productive career as an NBA player is over. I really hope not, but I think it's, there's a good chance that may be true, which is really, really sad. Uh, number one for him, and that my heart breaks for him. For as a ramifications for the Bulls are just are just devastating, right? I mean, like to me, he was like, he's one of the young players we have. He's under 25, 25 or under, and we signed him to significant contract. I mean, it's not a, a you know a, a organization killer contract, but it it's a lot of money, right? Like, I mean, we chose to devote assets to him for the next. Is he on a four year deal or three year? It's uh, it's four with a player option on the fourth year. Right. So he's got two he's more got... years with the Bulls, and then if he's if he's obviously if his productive career is over, he's going to opt in, and he'll be here for three years on the books. It... And if he has an amazing year, he'll opt out and then look for. So more let's money. let's let's stop and think about that for a second. If his career is over, if it's really over as a productive player, he signed for three more years with you know a significant part of the of the the contract. I mean, this is it is a I think almost a devastating result and uh you know i'm more concerned about his health overall like goodness gracious this is kind of unheard of really i can't think of many players whose career i mean penny hardaway i guess there were some of them but whose career kind of ended this early um it's just so disappointing what say you yeah i I don't know. It's you know, I mean, who knows? Like, there's no real news, right? Like, I and I agree with you. Like, if there was if there was any footage out there of Lonzo Ball going five on five, it would be leaked on purpose. Yes. Right. Right. So right. clearly, it's not going great yet. But you know, it's still a long time. You've got two full months before um, you're in like preseason games, effectively. So we'll we'll see what happens. But yeah, it, it's too early for me to say his whole career is over. Uh, but boy, does it seem like it's going to be a problem and someone mentioned this on real gm um i think it was mike dc who was saying you know like he tore a meniscus and when you tear a meniscus you're kind of like removing some of the cartilage from the knee which is some of the you know protective stuff that's in your knee and now like your 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 chance of getting some things like a blown a bone bruise feel like they're they're higher like you have less protective tissue in your knee and a guy like lonzo has had like a lot of problems in the knee you know, like the idea that this is ever going to be in a state where it's consistently healthy is probably a stretch. Like, you know, there's a lot of reason to think that there's going to be consistent problems here. And so when he does come back, you're going to have to start treating him like Kawhi Leonard. You don't get to play him back to backs. You know, we got to got to be careful. Keep you at like 25 minutes a game. Maybe we got to monitor what you're doing in practice. You know, like and, and, and he's not like a star Kawhi Leonard type of impact star either so you know it's, it's it's really interesting and i feel for lonzo you know and for anyone going through something like that you know not as much as i'd feel for someone who has you know uh massive injuries and not 80 million dollars in the bank but but yeah you still feel for uh for lonzo like it would suck to you know to to do that and it's like of no fault of his own right like people always get upset about guys who are hurt but like no one wants to be healthier than that guy, right? Like, there's a lot of angst about Derrick Rose and all the injuries he had. No one would have loved to have been healthy and have a great year for Chicago more than Derrick Rose. You know, like, our, our anger about Derrick Rose being hurt is, I'm sure, not even a drop in the bucket compared to his own anger about it, you know, and having his own career derailed from being a, a superstar in the league for, like, 15 years. So, you know, it's just it's a tough situation. But yeah, I'm at this point I think it's probably likely Lonzo's not ready to start the season. And you know, I'm I'm really concerned. 
about him ever being able to just play as well as he did last year again on a consistent night in and night out basis for the Bulls. Like I think he's probably someone who's always going to be in and out of the lineup, and you're going to have to have to really work around a lot. Yep, agreed. And you know what I do know about the knee and the meniscus injuries are you can try to repair it, but it always seems like to me I, I know I think Dwayne Wade had his pretty early on removed. If you're getting it removed, you're gonna you're gonna kind of avoid these ongoing issues, but it's going to lead to problems. You know, down the line, where you're likely going to need a knee replacement. I don't think he's had his meniscus removed yet. Is that is that true? Do you know off top top of your head? I, I don't think so. I think he didn't get the repair done. Yeah, see, I thought I'm not 100. percent I thought he got the repair done. So, like to me, there is one more move here where you do remove the meniscus completely, and you know that would hopefully maybe alleviate and allow. Well, you don't. Continue. You wouldn't remove the meniscus unless there's a meniscus problem now. Like you wouldn't. Well, I thought that's what the issue is. Now. He has a bone bruise. That's the, that's the issue. Okay. Well, I I, I and if you go, if you go really look at bone bruise, bone bone bruise is it's weird if you look it up. Like you think it means one thing, and then when you look it up, it's like lots of fractures in your knee or like whatever. Like it's like it's it's just like really oddly non-specific, uh, you know, thing. There's just damage in your knee. Yeah. Well, uh, it, I only play like, doctor at the local theater and on TV, but I will say. There is no doubt, no debate on this. I mean, his absence would be devastating for the next three years. Like, he is an important player for this organization and this team. So, we do need him yeah. back. If, Lon- if Lonzo's not ready to go, say he misses half the year. Say he comes back in January and plays every other game. Something like that. What do you, what do you think that does to your estimate for where the Bulls would go this year? If he's out for the entire year, I think they're at best like a, I said. Well, I said half half year. Half, half year. year. So this is half year. Um, I'd say at best like seven seed, eight seed, because the East is better. You know, um, I think they missed the playoffs. Oh my gosh! Now that would I think if be we don't have Lonzo, I think if we don't have Lonzo, we miss the playoffs. I, I mean, I, I think that's how important he is. So hopefully, we can get him back. You know, we might be able to sneak into the play-in still. And then, you know, who knows if he's back and healthy in the playoffs and maybe you could go from the play and, and, and play your way into the playoffs. Amen, brother. But I think, uh, I think it's, I think it's going to be really tough. It's, it's, it's maybe even an underrated story because you just thought like for sure he'll be back. And, um, you know, now you're looking at it like, wow, I, if, if, he, if he's not back after like eight, nine months from a bone bruise and you start thinking like, you know, really what is this long-term? So anyway, fingers crossed on Lonzo, you know, wish the best for, for him, obviously. Yeah, absolutely, brother. Let's stay positive. Get well soon, Lonzo. Hopefully he'll be ready for camp. I don't think he will be, but, you know, hopefully we'll see him before the year is out. Until next time, all the best to you, DT. Coach Cook, top five players in the NBA. What comes to your mind first? Oh, my gosh. It's a lot of them. It is. Go I ahead. mean, but as far as the top five, there's a lot of guys. It, it depends on what type of player it is, seriously, for me. To go with the top five, if you so were like so, uh, that'd be uh, Steph Curry because I need someone to shoot it, and then I need uh, need someone that can play play on the wing, which would be uh, Kevin Durant, okay. and then I need uh, another power forward, which would be LeBron, and then I'll have um, uh, I would even go with uh, point guard. My point guard would be kind of tough because it'd toss up between Kyrie Irving and J- and uh, James Harden. And then one more that comes to mind. Giannis? Yeah, yeah Giannis would be in. Okay. Milos Babic uh, coaching uh, the up uh, travel team. Name the top five players in the NBA. Right now? Yes. Um, it would be uh, Kevin Durant. It would be Nikola Jokic. 
it would be well the, people tend to put LeBron James there uh, into the mix um, is he top five uh, not the way he played last <laughs> again Durant Giannis Jokic Embiid is good and um, Kyrie's not bad you can't say Kyrie Luca, Luca, there we go. Luca. Uh, my name is Joey. I'm a shooting guard, and I'm on Team Dia. In your opinion, the top five players in the NBA today? Oh, so in order? If you got that. Oh, number one, LeBron. Number two, Giannis. Number three, Steph. Number four, Kevin Durant. Number five, hmm, number five, Joel Embiid.